This morning I'm going to speak on the subject of baptism. A number of people have asked me about that and I thought I'd bring you some biblical teaching and basis of baptism. And I've called it Leaving the Old and Entering the New. And my goal this morning is to explain baptism and to encourage and empower all of us as we get hold of its true meaning. Because when we understand the meaning of baptism, it's very empowering for all of us. So I'm going to do three three things. I'm going to talk about being joined to Jesus in his death. I'm going to talk about being joined to Jesus in his resurrection. And then I'm going to say, so why get wet? That's our outline. And I want to ask you, um, as we start, what, uh, what kind of problems be, does being dead get you out of? Tax, okay. Death, death well, I guess. Debt. So, debt, yes, debt, yeah. What else? Responsibility. Right, responsibilities. What else? Uh, awkward social obligations, that's right. Um, any prosecutions against you will immediately, immediately be dropped if you die. Um, your debts get wiped out. Uh, your police record gets wiped out. Your driving record gets wiped out. Um, you can't get called up for military service or, or jury duty or any kind of requirement like that. And... Um, uh, no laws of the land actually apply to you. There are no laws that apply to a dead person. You can't be arrested. The police will never arrest a dead person. And um, you are there. You're you're um, you'll be free from all of those things. So I, if I, I don't know if I've made a good case to you for being dead. There are some disadvantages as well. But um, uh, before we we talk about the the, the uh, disadvantages and. Uh, other advantages. Uh, back a few years ago in the UK, there was a there was a report of a man called John Darwin who uh, died in a tragically in a canoeing accident, and uh, he apparently I, I think he was actually a, had was quite good at canoeing. He was uh, quite accomplished, and so it was a surprise when he died. But um, they never found his body. Um, but um, five years later, he was photographed in Panama with his wife, which caused a little bit of a problem for him. <clears throat> and eventually there was a warrant out for him. He got arrested <clears throat> and he was uh, charged with fraud. He, had, he admitted, pleaded guilty and was put in prison for all kinds of frauds. So <clears throat> he tried this trick of dying and then getting out of the problems and uh, it didn't work permanently for him. <clears throat> but uh, I want you to imagine that... Um, not only you do, do you die, but at the same time, you become reincarnated immediately as a, as a citizen of another country, and maybe you're the heir of several billion dollars in that other country, then that could solve a lot of problems, couldn't it, if you could do that? So, um, uh, uh, now, actually, the Bible doesn't teach re- reincarnation in the kind of Eastern sense, but it does teach some kind of reincarnation in the sense I'm talking about right now, because we're going to look about what the Bible teaches about dying and and getting rid of all those obligations. There are three places 
where this is very, very clearly taught and laid out in the scripture. There's Ephesians 2, there's uh, Colossians 2, and there's Romans 6. And we're going to look at Romans chapter 6 this morning. And uh, I'm actually going to look at verses uh, 3 to 11, but I want to zoom in just to start with on a couple of verses. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So you get some idea from that about what happens to us as we die. For someone who has been di- has died is free from sin. So in some way, which we can't really explain, we don't really know, those of us who are Christians were actually joined to Jesus when he died on the cross. We were united with him in some way. We were connected with him and joined with him in some way when that happened. Um, and uh, our identity was with him. And so when he died on the cross, all the advantages of dying accrued to us. So, uh, so two things happened at that point. The first was that the price was paid for our sin. Guilt was removed. We walk free. Uh, I have a friend who, um, in, in his youth, had involved in all kinds of wild stuff. And at one point, he robbed a bank. And uh, he was caught and he was put in prison for that. And he did his time. He can no longer be uh, prosecuted for that bank robbery because he's he's paid his time. He's done it. And so if Jesus is paid for us and, and done paid whatever requirement it is for what we've done wrong, we're clear. We can't be punished for that again. We're free from that. And so. Uh, when Jesus died, all of that stuff, all that those legal obligations were removed. But in, di- in addition to that, they, the old dark power in us that makes us a slave, that he talks about being slave to sin, this dark power also dies and is killed and is destroyed. So there's two things we're free from. We're freed from the guilt and we're freed from the power. So I want you to bear you in mind, because this is at the center of this picture we're building. So the guilt of sin and the power of sin are destroyed in the death. Um, Now we want to come to the other side of the coin. I've talked about dying with Jesus. Now I want to talk about being raised with Jesus. And we're going to carry on reading in this chapter. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he is never going to die again. Death no longer has power over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, which is what he recovered in those earlier verses. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. So this concept of being joined to Jesus is hard to grasp because it's, it's an abstract concept and one that we don't actually physically see the reality of. If we, uh, we actually had uh, something around us that was connected and Jesus was next to us and it connected us to Jesus, then it would be something visible and tangible. But what we're talking about here is in, in a, a spiritual dimension, but it's just as real. So when Jesus died, it's counted. It, it, we were in some way that we can't understand. We were there. Even though we hadn't been born yet, we were actually there on the cross. Uh, we died. And when he was raised from the dead, in some way, it's hard for us to put into words. We just have to follow what's being said here. We were raised with him. 
So there are two aspects to this that actually work out in practice. The first of these is that physically Jesus received a physical body. And we will receive one as well. So the first aspect then is the future. We're going to get something in the future. And just like Jesus' new body was immortal, it couldn't die, it couldn't suffer sickness, it couldn't suffer pain. So our new bodies will be like that. We get various stories of Jesus appearing with his new body. And we know that it was there was a supernatural dimension to it. And we're told that when we see him, when he comes again, we will be like him. <clears throat> so we don't, we, we, we won't have this weak body. I don't know whether you're ready to get rid of your body and trade it in for something new. Maybe if you're, you're younger, you're okay. But you know, as you get older, there are more and more things you'd like to trade in and get renewed. Well, this will be getting a body that actually is not only flawless, but it's not florable. Nothing bad can happen to it. It's eternal, not subject to decay. And so this is, but this is actually the, the, the kind of the smaller of the two things that we get. The other thing that we get is something that actually has started in the present. And he alludes to it in verse 11. You also must consider yourselves now. You must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So even now, this new life is inside us. It's not something you can see, but if you had a kind of a special x-ray that could kind of see new creation life, you could x-ray us and you could see something that's new within us, which has been planted there at the moment we become Christians. And this part of us is immortal. And it will get a, a new body, but at the moment it's just spirit. But this part of us is the life of Jesus, the life of God that's within us. And this this new life um, has got a new power, a new strength to us, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, so, uh, so we're joined to Jesus and this joining is inseparable. And, uh, this is, uh, for me, this is one of the greatest strengths and comforts to my life that I know whatever situation I'm in, that nothing can sever my separate, my, my connection with Jesus. Nothing can sever that. I'm just joined to him all the time and whatever happens, what, you know, any circumstances can't destroy that, and that is forever. That will never, ever go. I can talk to him at any time. His power is in me. His life is in me, and that can never go. Um, so to really grasp hold of that is something which is life. It's something which is transforming. If you can really get a hold of this, then it will empower you and strengthen you in your walk as a Christian in a way that nothing else can. Um, as I'm trying to think of, of um, metaphors and ways of explaining this, one of the thoughts came to mind was a story that Jesus told, a parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors and says to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Now, this image of the, the sheep laid on the shoulders of Jesus is a very powerful one. And even in antiquity, um, people made statues of it. People have done paintings. This is a, an old painting of um, imagining what it's like. My favorite one actually is a photograph of 
some guy, I don't know who he is, I think he's in Australia, and he's got this, this uh, lamb on his shoulders. And that idea, that feeling is just so comforting to me that I would just be able to rest on Jesus' shoulders, and wherever he goes, I don't have to worry. No, I'm safe. I'm secure. What could be safer than that, to be on the shoulders of Jesus? When he's God, he's infinite. His power knows no bounds, and he's just holding me. See the way he's got the, um, the feet of the sheep now. Now, those of you who remember our cat, Timothy, I know that Sophia will remember our cat because she's got a picture very similar to this one with, with Timothy around. And Timothy liked to be held like this. And you could walk around the house with this cat, this big sheep-like cat around your neck, holding, holding his feet. And he would just love it. And he would just sit there uh, because he felt secure and loved and safe. And so I love this image of, of Jesus. He's, he's gone after the one that's lost. He's found them. And when he gets them, he puts them on his shoulders. And then they're safe. They're secure. They're connected. There's nothing that they have to worry about at that point. And so the image of being raised with Christ is not only being empowered, but it's just not having to worry because he has us securely we're joined to him for eternity and there's no limit to his power and so there's no 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 limit to us if we are that securely connected to him so i love that idea and the the that that union with jesus as i said is i think the most powerful center of what it what the gospel is what christianity is and everything else flows out from that so back to my outline I've talked about I've talked about being joined to Jesus in his death and I've talked about uh being joined to Jesus in his resurrection and I'm going to talk in a minute about actually I've got a couple more things to say about that then I'll come on to um the the, the getting wet bit um, when someone was crucified they would nail a list of their crimes ab- above them on on the cross, and that would be you know why they died. And can anyone remember what they nailed on above Jesus, King of the Jews? That's right. And what did the Pharisees want him to say? Wanted to say he said he was the King of the Jews, but Pilate said no. He's going to say King of the Jews in three languages. So that's what it said, because that's what you actually, you would nail the person's crimes. But actually, Paul says, in some ways, our crimes were nailed to the cross. So he died for us. But if you think about it, um, the whole, it's, Paul, Paul actually went a little bit further than that. He said it was actually the law that was nailed to the cross, because when you die, the law doesn't have any effect on you anymore. And imagine you're living in a country, say you're living in a country that's got very restrictive laws, and imagine you're a woman and you're caught driving, and that's illegal in that country, and you're prosecuted for that, and you know, you're put in prison, and then, then, then using this kind of mechanism we talked about, you die in that country and you're raised again in Canada where there's no such law, um, can you be prosecuted? 
for that crime? Well, you can't be because the law of that country doesn't apply in Canada. I guess actually we don't need you to die. We just need you to immigrate to Canada. And the same, the same story applies. But anyway, the, the basic idea then is that the law doesn't apply anymore to you because you're not under the jurisdiction of that law. And so what Jesus did is he removed you from the point where you are actually under that law. So all of the law of Moses is removed, you're removed from that, and you're, you're in a different place. You're not under law as such, you're under grace. Your uh, God is, is choosing to view you in that way. So that's, I think, the core of the message. Oh, oh, one of the ways that the gospel is, is uh, often taught, and it's not that this is wrong, I just think it's limited, it's taught in terms of... Um, the fun, Jesus uh, paying for us in like scales. I remember once when I was I was young, I was teaching a kid's class, and I actually tried try and get the truth to them. I, I made these scales, and I had a big weight, which I labeled your sins, and then I had a piece of paper, and I wrote your good works. So I put the sins in one side of the scale, and then I said to the, the children, like, try putting your good works in the other side and see if it balances. And of course it doesn't. And then I had a great big rock, which I labeled... Uh, Jesus' death, and then we put that, and of course that balanced the scales. Now that's okay as an illustration, but it's really not exactly what happened, because actually Jesus didn't save our sins at a distance, and like make some sort of distant transaction. He actually joined himself to us, and then paid our sins in that union with us. So it's not like some sort of transactional. He gives, he's earned some, he's earned some money. He's going to give it to us and some, some guilt's going to be paid. It's our connection with him that sets us free. And so that's the, that is the key to this image. <clears throat> so, um, I want to do, I think, I think I'll move on now to the, the, the getting wet. Why get wet? Why be baptized? So, by the way, um, we've we've had a number of baptisms in this church, and we've not actually done it in the lake. So, if you want to be baptized, you don't actually have to be baptized in the lake. There are there are places that we can we can rent where they've got very kind of warmed pools. That there's no special uh, religious benefit from going into ice cold water in the middle of winter. <laughs> It doesn't give you extra grace doing that. That's not what it's about. But anyway, sometimes people are baptized in lakes. And of course, in Jesus' time, mostly it would be in the river or something like that. Although that's not exclusively true, there were places that actually we, we've done from archaeological records where they actually had places to be baptized that they'd custom built. So what happens? Uh when somebody is baptized, what they do is walking through this image of being united with Jesus in the death and then coming out is being united with Jesus in the resurrection. And so the image is going down is like going down into a tomb and coming out is coming out a new person. So why does this happen? What, what, what's, this per- what's, what's, what's the purpose of doing this? Does anything magical happen when somebody's baptized? Well, if you look at the history of the church, uh, the, the, the teaching has fallen between two, two extremes. So one extreme would be you don't get to heaven unless you've been baptized. You, it's essential. You, you're not baptized, then that's it for you. So, for example, the Catholic Church would teach that. And um, 
if you know if you've missed it, then I think you can actually even as an uh, is a if you're dying, you can kind of get some sort of symbolic baptism um, to try and take you through this. But then there are other groups as well that believe this that you have to. Um, you can't be saved unless you're baptized. It's something that's absolutely essential. And so if, if you, um, you know, you're, you, you accept Jesus as savior and then you have a heart attack. Sorry, that's it. That wasn't, you know, you missed off at baptism. You're toast. Um, the, one of the problems with that is that, um, the, the thief on the cross next to Jesus was saved. You know, he trusted in Jesus. He was saved. He didn't get baptized. And, um, that's uh, so you, you really can't, and, but also you can't really build a case theologically from the Bible that you have to be baptized to be saved. However, the other extreme is, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's just something you do. It's a cool thing. To, to and and the scriptures seem to take it as more than this. In fact, it would be unthinkable in the early church for somebody to be a Christian and not to be baptized because. For one thing, Jesus commanded it. But for another thing, there was a very clear idea that, that, um, there would be some kind of blessing that was accruing from this. Now, it's not automatically, you know, you're, you, you're baptized and, and you, you get some automatic, like putting money into a slot machine and something comes out. But there is an idea very much there in the scripture that the connection between baptized, being baptized physically and being baptized in the spirit and something coming to you, an impartation of the spirit that you get when you're baptized physically. And uh, the, the reason, if you ask me to, to defend this place, I would say, well, when Peter is preaching at Pentecost, he says to them, believe on, on Jesus Christ, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And then when Paul, uh, Paul was baptized, he, he was received the Holy Spirit. And when, um, the, the, uh, he baptized 12 people in Ephesus, and when he baptized, they believed he baptized them, and when he baptized them, they received the Holy Spirit. So, now this, uh, so, even though this might not be a formal requirement, and I believe people, you know, they receive the Holy Spirit, um, they can receive the Holy Spirit before they're baptized. There's no problem with that. But I believe there's some expectation of a blessing of, of the Spirit when you enter that act of obedience with Christ. So, so I'm going to say somewhere in the middle between the, the people who say, no, you can't be a Christian if you're not baptized, and the people on the other hand say, yeah, it's kind of an optional extra you can do if you want to. I'd say something in the middle, no, you can be a Christian without being baptized, but why miss out on something? Jesus has commanded it, Jesus asked us to do it, and, and why miss out on something? So I want to summarize three things that baptism does. First of all, it's a public direct a declaration that you're following Jesus. Declaring yourself as a follower. Now, in some cultures, to decide to become a follower of Jesus can lead to persecution and even death. And you, you, I'm sure you've heard of this in, in, for example, in Islam, then you're, you're a Muslim and you become a Christian. That's called apostasy, which in some, uh, some groups you could actually be put to death for. So it's very dangerous to publicly proclaim that you are a Christian in that kind of culture. And this was the case 2,000 years ago. 
This was what it was like because in the early church you could, in fact, suffer persecution by identifying yourself with Christians. Uh, But Jesus said, I'm not interested in secret followers. I want people to trust me in life and death. And he said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father in heaven. Jesus was very concerned that we actually were willing to identify himself with him. He wanted people who would trust him enough to go public with it. And so this act of baptism was a way of going public with the fact that you're following Jesus by by pictorially saying, yeah, I died with him. I'm being raised with him. So the next question is, uh, why dunk someone in water as a sign of commitment? Can you imagine if we did this at weddings? We had the bride and the groom and we said to the the bride, you know, do you really love your husband? Are you committed to him? And she said, yeah. Well, we're going to dunk you in this tank of water just to prove your commitment. And then we're going to dunk the husband to prove prove he's committed to. So why should, what's the connection there? Why should we do that? Um, What does it mean? Well, we get this very explicitly um, uh, described in Romans 6. I'm going back to the first verse. We read a little later on. I'm going back to the the first verse I want to read. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we be united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So very explicitly in these verses, Paul is linking the image of baptism, of going down into the water and coming up again, to death and new life. And so what he's saying then is... uh, Coming up out of the water, as you come up out of the water, that is a picture of a new person uh, with new life coming up out of that water. And verse 5 describes this invisible bond that occurs between us and Jesus, that something has happened. Um, Let's, uh, okay, well, okay, let's uh, go back to our list. public declaration, a picture of death and new life, an opportunity to receive more from God. Jesus told his followers to be baptized and promised he would bless them if they kept his commandments. So it's one of Jesus' commandments. And he said, I will give you my power and my presence if you are following me by doing these things. Um, but I want to I want to suggest that if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, then this is the perfect introduction to what it means to be a Christian. Because here we have the image of every bad thing in your life just going, and uh, every every accusation against you being gone, just as much as you were dead. Like every possible thing anybody could say against you being gone, uh, erased. And a new power coming in you. As I said, there are two things. There's the new, there's the, the guilt is gone and there's a new power. And this new power is in, in your life to live in a new way. And if you're, if you're not a Christian and you're interested, I would love to talk to you more about these things. But quite simply, it's a matter 
of accepting the offer that Jesus has made of this new union with him in his death and resurrection and saying, I want to get rid of the old. I want the old to go and I want a new way of living and I'm prepared to follow you in that. So I want, um, if, if, if this morning, uh, I, I don't know who's been baptized here and who hasn't, but if you, you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I would love to give you the opportunity of doing that. And we do it from time to time. And, and the church, and what we actually do is we we rent a church building where they have it very well organised for a baptistry and rooms to change and so on. We don't we don't go to the lake. Actually, we have once done it in a in a swimming pool, and with the the Iranian group, we've done it several times in a swimming pool, um, which works quite well. Um, but we it anyway, it's, it's well organised and it's a, and it's a, a great a great time. And then when we do that, when we have a baptism, we make it a celebration. So a time to invite friends, to have food together, to celebrate what God has done, because this is a celebration of new life. It's a time of joy, and it's it's just a wonderful time to be able to celebrate. Somebody has got Jesus joined to him, and they have his new life. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, and we're going to sing a, a song of... of uh, uh, appreciation what has happened to us in Jesus. But while they're getting ready, I'm just going to pray. And uh, uh, before they start, we're going to have a, a short time of questions. Father, I thank you for this wonderful picture you've given us. But Lord, I thank you more, most of all that we have the security of being like a lamb across your shoulders, that you hold us securely and that you've taken us through the flood of death. And you've brought us into new life and your power is available to us and you will never let us go. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen.